Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here. I've done these kind of sessions. This is my first time to GYC, but I've done these kind of teaching sessions enough to know the time goes really quickly. So we're going to try to put as much as we can in the time that we have, and hopefully, if you have some questions at the end, I'll be happy to take them. Glad you're here. How many of you, just a little bit of a, of a test here, how many of you have held an evangelistic meeting already in sometime in the past? Okay, that's good. And how many of you would like to do it sometime in the future? Well, I'd like to see that everybody, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, let me tell you just a little story as we, as we start out here. You know, we're going to go over a lot of things, and some of them might be fairly basic to you. But it's often the basic things that we forget. So let me share a little story as we start here. Come on in. Welcome. You know, some time ago, I, I'm kind of a child of the 60s and 70s, but <clears throat> back in around the 1990s, there was a shoe company called, uh, or that produced shoes called Hush Puppies. Remember Hush Puppies, right? We all had hush puppies, at least back in the 70s we did. Most of you have heard of that word. But anyway, this company was doing fairly poorly in its sales. And it was doing so poorly that the company thought that maybe they would discontinue the line. They were going to shut it down. And uh, the executives of that were, of course, you know, fairly saddened that that had to take place. It was once a very popular line. But all of a sudden, just when they were about to shut it down, sales for hush puppies started to go through the roof. And of course, right away, the company wanted to know what, what happened. You know, here we were failing, and all of a sudden, there's this great demand for our shoes. So they did some investigating, and they found out, very strangely, that there was a fashion show in New York. And one very prominent fashion designer decided that he wore hush puppies to this review. Right? And in the eclectic world of fashion, uh, when, when one prominent person is wearing something and no one else is, well then that's something to be desired. And so other people picked up on the fact that he was wearing this brand of shoes and they started wearing it and that caught on just like when a wildfire did and all of a sudden, you know, demands or orders for hush puppies started to come in. All because of this one man's influence. Little things can make a big impact. And whether it's this session on preaching or the next one I'm going to do on visitation, we're going to go over a lot of different things. And when you put them together, you're going to see that they can have a real impact. Evangelistic preaching, what exactly is it? It's a sermon about the gospel that has an appeal to it. Now, before I tell you what evangelistic preaching is, let me just tell you a little bit about what evangelistic preaching is not, okay? It's not someone standing up for 30 minutes and simply sharing their life experience. What do we call that? Testimony, that's right. It's not simply just giving a testimony. It's not someone standing on the pulpit and sharing a practical illustration about life. Okay? Uh, you know, that's often done in Sabbath school time. It's often done, uh, you know, in, in different places. But it's not necessarily an evangelistic sermon just because you're sharing something about your life. It's not just telling a story. You know, someone will get into the pulpit and they'll say, well, you know, on the way to church this morning, I met with Mrs. Smith. She came out of the door. We talked across the fence, and here's what happened. And that's not an evangelistic sermon. An evangelistic preaching is not simply having a conversation, very similar to what I just mentioned. It's not a lecture. It's not talking about the chiastic structure in the book of Ezekiel, right? <laughs> There's a place for lectures. It's called the classroom. Let's leave the lectures in the classroom, okay? Evangelistic preaching is not just lecturing to your audience. So what is evangelistic preaching? Let's start out with some real basics here. Do you know it said that the pulpit is the most sacred place this side of heaven? John Wycliffe said the, it is the highest duty that men can attain to 
is preaching the Word of God. Do you agree with that? Amen. Preaching is a high calling. I don't think you can graduate from evangelism. Evangelistic preaching can be identified in a certain way. We're going to go through some of these things. Ellen White wrote this. Just listen to this. She said, The hearts of many in the world, as well as many church members, are hungering for the bread of life, thirsting for the waters of salvation. They're interested in the service of song, but they're not longing for that. Or even prayer, she says. They want to know the scriptures. What saith the word of God to me? The Holy Spirit is working on the hearts and minds, drawing them to the bread of life. They see everything around them changing. Human feelings, human ideas of what constitutes religion change. They come to hear the word of God just as it reads. If you want to have evangelistic preaching, you've got to make it biblical. Now, I know that sometimes that sounds a little basic, but you know when people come to our meetings, people will appreciate you if they sense you're a biblical preacher. Often they'll come to our meetings and they'll say this, and you've heard it if you've preached. They'll say, wow, we have never gotten sermons like this before. Right? It's one of the first things they say. And often even Adventists will say that. They say, we're not getting this in our own church. We're not getting the Word of God. We're not getting much Bible. The pastor is telling stories, and there's a place for a story. The pastor is giving lots of illustrations. We have often what I call the Reader's Digest type sermons. You know, cute stories, little illustrations. All right, well, the... This is what happens in evangelism. You've got to be ready for it. Okay, but, but the Word of God is often missing. And it's the Word of God, it's the preaching of the Word that's going to change lives. And when you're preaching, I mean, the pastor, it might be the mouthpiece, but who is it that's really to be speaking through the pastor or through the person, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's God through the Holy Spirit that's to be speaking through the individual. So evangelistic preaching is fundamentally biblical. If you've just read some real funny joke or some funny story and you say, Lord, help me to build a, you know, a sermon around this funny illustration that I've just read, that's not going to be an evangelistic sermon. I can tell you that. So, Jesus is often seen preaching the Word of God. Members will especially appreciate you if they sense that you are a biblical preacher. You know, by the way, as we get into this... <clears throat> You know that often we take for granted that our people know the, the, often the doctrines of our faith? You know, we think, oh, they know about the second coming. We don't need to preach that, right? They know about the state of the dead. We don't really cover that. You know, they often don't know those things. We think that because they're baptized, they know about it, right? But they'll come up to me as members and say, you know what? I've never heard the millennium really explained. I've never heard the state of the dead made clear like that before. We ought not to be afraid to preach our faith in our own churches. Amen. Signs of the times... Sister White says, the Bible and the soul were made one for another. If you want to minister to people, it's got to come from the Word. We realize, of course, that when we're in the pulpits, the power is not in us. It's not in putting together a cute PowerPoint presentation. This one I got up on the screen here. I got an, uh, late last night. I downloaded it in the middle of the night. So I'm seeing these slides for the first time along with you, okay? <laughs> so let's, uh, anyway, but I was up 4.30 this morning trying to put it in order. But anyway, it's not in the PowerPoint that makes the difference. Amen. Evangelistic preaching is fundamentally biblical. It doesn't lift up itself, but it preaches the Bible. The first question that you have to ask when you're putting together your sermons is this. Has it really come from the Word of God? Now, other points to remember as you're putting together your messages. You must impart information that they don't get in their own church. If you take too long getting into what is different 
or they've never heard, you're going to lose your audience. Sometimes people will say this to me, and I understand where they're coming from. They say, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to preach these normal things that we cover in an evangelistic meeting. I'm going to preach on the cross. I'm going to preach on the love of God. I'm going to preach on righteousness by faith. And I'm going to win this audience that way. And I say, well, you're welcome to go ahead and do it. And often they'll, they'll put together a very good presentation on that. But you know, the first night they might have 70 guests, and the next night they have 35, and the next night they have 10, and the next night they have 2, and all of a sudden they're shutting down the meeting. Why? Not because they didn't have good information. Not because they weren't covering it in a great way, but because the people, if it isn't radically different than what they hear in their own Sunday churches, they're going to say, we get this back where we come from. Right? We, we, my preacher preaches on the cross, and my pastor preaches on, on faith. I'm sorry, brother, I'm right in front of you here. But, <clears throat> yeah, thank you. <laughs> So it's got to be so different. Now, often you know that in evangelistic meetings, they preach on the Antichrist, right? Some put it up in the beginning, some in the middle. But why do you hear some evangelists putting up near the front? Not because they like preaching on the Antichrist. It's not my favorite topic, but I do it. But because it's different than what they've heard. When they put up the beasts of Babylon, you know, Persia, Greece, and Rome, the people sit there and they say, wow, I've never seen those things before. And it catches their attention. So you've got to share, that's just a little example, you've got to share something that they're not getting in their own church. You've got to share it fairly quickly if you're going to hold your audience. Number, number B here, letter B, we must build trust with the audience quickly and effectively. When they introduce me in my evangelistic meetings, I get up and, uh, to, the, to the pulpit and this is what I say, something like this. I'll say, the Bible is the Word of God. I want to put it right up there, right? I want to know this, this is what I feel. The Bible is the Word of God. And then I say, do not trust anything that I say. Now, they're not expecting that, you see. And then I say, because what I have to say really isn't important. But what God, our Creator, has to say is immensely important. Wouldn't you agree? And I'll get an amen. And they'll say, right away, I've had people tell me, oh, I was so glad when you said that not to trust you. You know? Don't trust what I say. Because they're not, they're not expecting that, right? They're expecting to listen to what I have to say. You know, I have to say is so important. And when I say the opposite, it gets their attention. They say, oh no, the trust is, is not on the speaker. It's on the Bible. It gets their attention. See, build into your messages the questions and the answers. And again, we're still on point A, the Word of God. The questions and the answers that are most likely to occur to the listener's mind. They'll come to the seminar and they'll say this practically every night to me. They'll say, I came with a page full of questions, but you've answered them all in the message. So I really, because I'll ask them at the door, do you have any questions, something you'd like to, oh no, you've answered them. I came with a lot of questions tonight, but you covered it. Now, how is it that I cover it? Because when you do these for a while, you start to hear the same questions over and over and over again. I mean, there's only so many main ones, right? Once in a while you get a little surprised. But uh, then you build that into your presentations so that as they're sitting in the seat and you raise a question in their mind, you're going to answer it very, very quickly to them. And, they're going to say, and they'll relax. Oh, okay, I got that. Then they get another question is raised. And you, you know, whether it's on the Sabbath or the state of the dead, you answer those things. I know right away when I talk on the state of the dead, there's going to be a number of people sitting out there and they're going to say, ah, but what? All the way through, they're going to be saying, but what about absent from the body present with the Lord? They're going to say that. Oh, he hasn't covered that yet. He doesn't know about that text. So when, then at the end I say, now there's a lot of you sitting out there, and you're wondering, what about that text, absent from the body, present of the Lord? And you should see the heads just nod like you. They're going to say, yeah, yeah, what about that? Or I'll say, what? and uh, you're probably wondering about the thief on the cross, too. Yes, yes. You know, they're good. It's like they couldn't wait. I say, we know about those. That's another thing you, uh, you want to impart. 
to your, to your audience that you're not taken by surprise. Right? Now, you might be, but you don't want to let them know that. <laughs> so uh, when you're visiting, now uh, this isn't a visitation class, that's the next one, but when you're visiting and they throw something at you, or when you're preaching and, uh, you, know, and you want to let them know, no, they, they mention a text to you, oh, no, we know about that. All right, we've got that covered. That's no problem. Because that installs confidence in your listener that, no, you've got the situation under control. Even when sometimes you don't feel that you're under control. Okay, what is evangelistic preaching? Number two, evangelistic preaching is authoritative. Okay, you must preach confidently. I tell our young speakers that they need to stand tall, look people in the eye, and they need to communicate without necessarily saying it, I've got something to say. And you need to listen to what I have to say, right? Because when I first held my, uh, the very first meeting I had in Oakland, Maryland, little tiny country church, I mean, it was way out of the way. Nobody else wanted to hold an evangelistic meeting there. So they said, Brian, would you take it? Well, I needed to jump on the opportunity. I didn't think if I passed on this opportunity, I didn't know if it'd come around the second time. So I said, okay, I'll take it. But I'll tell you, I was nervous. You know, I didn't have a lot of pulpit experience. And, and this church was so small that I had to stand here and the first row of people were there. I mean, right there. As I was as close as from me to you. And I had my Bible in my hand like this. And you thought, that makes you nervous anyway, let alone your very first meeting. And my knees were shaking. I'm telling you what, just like Belteshazzar's or Belshazzar's. <laughs> but, uh, but, they were, but, but you know, I said, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to look confident, if nothing else. And I got through that meeting. And, uh, and so, and nobody asked me, is this your first meeting? Right? Because at least you got to look authoritative. People will often be impressed by your sincerity in what you're saying, even if you don't necessarily feel like you have a lot of confidence. If you sincerely believe it, and you sincerely love it, it's going to show to your audience. Amen? Amen? Right? Okay, so you need to preach confidently. I'm not so concerned about techniques, you know, in the gimmicky sense. Uh, that's not really what I want to concentrate on. Sometimes a speaker may not have a lot of education. You might say, well, I haven't been to, you know, a seminary, or I have, don't even have a BA, or I don't have this or that. You don't need that. Amen. You don't need that. If you've got some sermons and you are confident, you know your message, you're confident in how you deliver it, you can still be effective. But if you get up and you say, perhaps it could be, maybe it might be, or, or most scholars agree that just perhaps the seventh day could be the Sabbath, how many people are you going to convince with that, right? Zero. Right? So evangelistic preaching is authoritative. May I even go so far as to say it's dogmatic. What do we mean by that? Dogmatic is you preach a court that a certain principle is established and it cannot be changed, right? It's from the Word of God. It's authoritative. So, do we see Jesus doing that? We do. We do. Evangelism, page 181. Now, just now, we are to proclaim present truth with assurance and power. Notice that word assurance there. You need to know the message. Now, here's where we see Jesus doing it, Mark 1.22. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus came across authoritative, you can too. Now, that's, you can be authoritative without being obnoxious, right? Sometimes people, in order to try to appear authoritative, they, they come across arrogant and sometimes demeaning and these kind of things. And we don't need that. Right? We don't want to in any way impart that. You know, you should have a, an authority. I'm going to get into that 
uh, on, on how to uh, contrast the authority of your public speaking with the humbleness of your personal uh, visitation. But the, the, hum, the humility you show when you come down from the pulpit gives you the people's confidence to preach authoritatively when you get into the pulpit, you see. So when you stand up and preach, preach like the man or the woman that God intended you to be. Stand up tall. Do you know some of them say, well, I'm nervous, right? I'm nervous, they say. Anxiety decreases in direct proportion to preparation increasing. If you are prepared, if you've done your homework, if you know your message, and you've prayed yourself hot, as we say, right? And, uh, and, you, and you've gotten there early, and you've looked out over the, you know, the seats, and you've thought it through in your mind, and if you've got PowerPoint or Keynote, and you've gone through it, and, uh, and you've, 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 you've asked the Lord to bless this time, you will have the confidence. Okay. So without passion, what are you going to do? You're going to put him to sleep. You may not be prepared. You may not feel, I mean, you know, maybe your notes aren't in perfect order, but you better be confident when you get up. If you have a struggle to preach with authority, pray for the Holy Spirit to take control of your mind and speak through you. Okay? All right, let's go on to the next point. What is evangelistic preaching? Evangelistic preaching is Christ-centered. You know, there are a couple traps that evangelists fall into. One is sensationalism. You know, we get into things like talking about, you know, the, the Catholic Church doing this or that, or the Illuminati or the Masons, and we get into these kind of things that sound really sensational, but Christ is missing from the sermon, right? And they sort of defend themselves and say, well, I've got another sermon about Jesus. Well, you know, if Jesus isn't in the sermon, it's not an evangelistic sermon. In fact, if Jesus isn't in the sermon, you really haven't preached, have you? You really haven't. And another one is storytelling. Now, again, there's a place for stories. I'll talk about that. You can drop a story here and there. Make it short. Make it to the point. You know, don't just tell the story because you like the story. Sometimes people, you can tell, they, they tell this long story and, and you think, what was the point of that? Right? And then you figure out, oh, he happened to like the story, so he used it. Right? But it didn't help his sermon very much. So storytelling, in fact, it takes away from the time that you can put into the Word of God. People, I get... Uh, I get requests from all over the country for my evangelistic sermons. I get them from laymen, from pastors, from evangelists, from uh, uh, union presidents and administrative people all over the country. Why? Because uh, the sermons that I give, it's just text after text after text after text. And I've thought it through so it leads a person to the conclusion that we want. Now, I suppose there's a point where you can overdo it and, and it becomes a little bit monotonous in the sense that you haven't illustrated it. We're going to get to that. But you want the Word to be leading them. We'll get into that. Christ is the center of the message. We always need to keep that in mind. Of course, every time, I may have been in it for a long time, I'm still always wanting to work to make sure Jesus is in the center of what I speak. Preaching Christ should be the focus of where your sermon ends up. No matter where you began, you need to end up with Jesus. Amen? No, you need to end up because that's where the power is when you make your appeal. Number four. Evangelistic preaching must be what? Practical, right. You need to know what to talk about. You need to know what not to talk about. Uh, we live in an age where we call it's pragmatism. Uh, what does that mean? The people today are not necessarily asking what is right and what is wrong. They're asking, what difference does this make in my life? Right? Yes, the seventh day is a Sabbath. So what? Yes, people are in the grave when they die. So what? Yes, the millennium is teaching that people are up in heaven in the thousand years. Well, so what? They want to know what difference does it make? 
So you must make it practical to them. I've heard so many sermons on which day is the Sabbath, but not enough as to why we should keep the Sabbath, right? We need to put that in there. Make sure they know how to keep the Sabbath. If you're going to talk on the millennium, talk about the good news of the judgment and the mercy of God, even toward the wicked, that he will raise them up at the end and show them why they're justly excluded from, from eternity. Show them how God is, made, is glorified even in the, in the millennium type sermons. All right. Effective preaching grows out of sympathetic understanding. And how are we going to understand people unless we get close to them? Ellen White says it's highly important that a pastor, when I say pastor, I mean any of us here that are going to conduct meetings, mingles with the people. Because if we don't know what they're thinking and what they're feeling, we can't make our messages practical for them. Well, I just said that, didn't I? There it is. Highly important that a pastor mingles with the people and thus becomes acquainted with the different phases of human nature. In an, in an audience, you have all kinds of thinking, don't you? And all kinds of background, you know, blue collar, white collar, rich and poor, as we would say, all different kinds of walks of life. You never know who's going to come in the door during an evangelistic meeting. And so we must be able to meet their minds and know what they're thinking. I like to know when I go into a city, I like to know what's the What's that city about? So I'll get a newspaper. What's going on in that city? Uh, what are their imports or exports? Or what are they, what's the, what's the uh, jobs that that city talks about? And I'll want to talk about that. I mean, if it's a lumber mill, you know, I want to talk about that. And if they're into coal mining, I want to talk about that. I want to do something that connects with them. What is evangelistic preaching? Number five, it must have an appeal. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, you can't really have biblical preaching without talking about the kingdom of God and inviting people into the kingdom of God. Amen? And so, if you preach an evangelistic sermon and you don't offer the people a chance to respond, it's, uh, it's frustrating almost to them. You know, it's like talking all about the benefits of a car and not asking them for the sale. So, what we want to do is get people, you say, well, what if I make an appeal and nobody responds? We have in our churches what I call programmed non-response. People are so used to sitting back on Sabbath mornings like this, you know, listening to the pastor, and then the sermon ends, yeah, okay, and then, you know, they leave. It might have been a good sermon, but there was no appeal. And, th and that happens week after week after week, and pretty soon it's programmed non-response. Right. But if you, and if you make an appeal, even if they don't respond that week, they get in their head, this guy's going to make an appeal. Maybe next week I will respond. Next week I need to be ready because he's going to ask us to, to do something. And you get the people in the habit of responding. Now that's why in opening night, I'll finish up the opening message. And I'll, of course, these are a lot of strangers opening night, right? They don't know me that well and I don't know them. But I'll do it something very easy. And I'll say, how many of you tonight would like to be ready? when Jesus comes. Very soft, very easy. Would you like to let the Lord know you want to be ready? Would you just raise your hand tonight and let the Lord know? And the hands go up, you see. Very, very easy. Yes, I want to be ready. Of course, we've been building up to that point, right? So that you've got a response. You've got a response. Next night, we might, I might do something similar. Still second night. How many want to, you know, let the Lord know that you want, it, it may be on salvation, so it could be a little bit more of a response there. But then, then the next night, I'll say, let's stand together as we have our closing prayer. And in standing, let's let the angels know that we want Jesus to be the center of our life. Let's let the angels, let's let the Father in heaven know. And they stand, right? 
It's, a, it's, a, it's another response, but it's a little bit more of a response than just putting up your hand. And so I'm helping my audience early to get over the program non-response. So when we get into the deeper issues and I'm handing out response cards or I might make an appeal for them to come down to the front, then it's much easier because they're in the habit of saying, I'm not to, he's not going to let me just sit here and do nothing. Right? Amen? Well, that was quiet. All right. You see, we have program non-response when we watch television, don't we? Right? You watch television and you can watch murder and all these kind of, you know, gory things. And you, at first you think, ooh, that's terrible. You know, then you watch it again and, well, not too, you know, and then you keep watching and all of a sudden, just watch it. <laughs> right? No response, right? Because that's the way the, the mind is. So evangelistic preaching has to have appeals built into it. Resist the temptation not to give an appeal. Right? The devil will come up to you and you know, you're preaching and say, don't do it, don't do it. No, there might be no one out there to respond. When you give an appeal, let me give you a little uh, helpful hint here. When you give an appeal, give an appeal like you expect everybody to respond. Amen. Right? Don't say, is there one here tonight? Don't say that. Because there's someone out there saying, well, do I, I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> right? Say, when you give an appeal, you make that appeal like you expect everybody to respond. And you will notice a huge difference in how many do respond. Okay? So, okay, give an appeal even if nobody if responds that time, they'll respond the next time for sure. Now, if it hasn't been authoritative and you haven't been preaching biblically, and if it hasn't been Christ-centered, and if it hasn't been practical, then probably we have no right to give an appeal. But if it's been all those things, then you can appeal with confidence. Okay. Now the next one, evangelistic preaching must be dynamic. Now I want to say a few words about dy dynamic preaching. Whatever you lack in preparation, you better make up in dynamics. Because people will forgive you, they will be forgiving if you're not always perfectly organized, but they're never going to forgive you if you're dry and boring. Okay. Isn't that true though? They're not going to forgive you for that. So. It's like that notice that was put up on a management billboard, and it said, if you are not fired by enthusiasm, you will be fired with enthusiasm. <laughs> okay? Well, I'd say the same thing for evangelists. If you're, when you get up in that pulpit, if you don't have enthusiasm, you have no right to be up there, because it's going to come across so flat that you're, you're going to have no audience really quickly. You must, you must feel, when you're about to get up and preach, you have to be feeling like you're just a coiled lion just ready to go. Like, you can't wait to get out there. When I'm behind the curtain, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're announcing all the preliminaries and they're having the special music, I'm just like, man, get me out there. I can't wait. It's, I am fr it's almost frustrating to uh, wait for all the preliminaries to get out of the way, you know, because I studied it that morning and I went over my sermon again that afternoon. And sometimes I'll be at someone's house and we'll have lunch and they'll say, listen, I got to go. And they'll say, why? And I say, because I've got to study. They say, study? You've been doing this for years. Hey, I got to get ready. I've got to get ready. If, I'm not, if it's not new and interesting to me, maybe I've preached the millennium a hundred times, right? I've given that sermon a hundred times. But I need to go over it in my mind so that it's new and fresh to me. And, if it's, and there are times when I'll change a whole section of the sermon or I'll put in things, and all of a sudden, I just can't wait to get to that point in that sermon when I can preach that part. If you've you experienced that too, it's like, man, let me at it, you know? So you've got to feel like that 
You've got to feel like that so it's, it's clear to you. And not only just with enthusiasm, but also in clarity. If it's, if it's somewhat muddy to you, it will be very muddled to your audience. Right. right. So you need to think it through so that you can go from point to point to point to point and you know where you're going with confidence and authority. Okay? All right. Preaching is dynamic not merely because of, now there's a little error in this slide here. It's dynamic not because of what's coming out of you, but it's due to what is going on inside the person preaching. Not necessarily the person listening. In other words, you have got the Holy Spirit working through you. It's not just what you're saying, but you are excited and you are wanting to get out there uh, and, uh, and preach for the Lord. Okay, now there's different kinds of dynamics. Some people just have a marvelous voice. I don't. I wish I did. You know, um, mine's just probably middle of the road. You know, but they just have such a marvelous intonation. They can make it go up and down, and, and it, it just, it's just lovely to listen to, you know. This is one of those ones you'd pay to have a voice like that. And, and they can use that voice for the Lord because it's, it's pleasant to the audience's ear. There are others that are dynamic in the way they move. Now, you've seen those, right? They go backwards and forwards and up and around. They're, you know, they're not on top of the pulpit, but they're all over it, right? And uh, I tell people... Uh, Avoid the, coil, the, the, avoid the cage lion type routine where you're walking like this to the, get to the side of the room, then you go, and they go like this to the other side of the room, and then they go. You know, that gets hypnotic after a while. Okay, and, and after a while, it, it looks phony. After a while, it looks phony. And you don't want to do anything that looks, you know, planned or some kind of manipulative, right? You don't want to get into that. But it's okay. Now, I, with, with, with me, uh, I can't do it here because i got my computer on the other side. But if this was a normal meeting, I'd be over on this side because I want to address this side of the audience. And then I'll come over here because I want to make sure that I'm addressing this side of the audience. So I'll do a little bit of back and forth, but it's not a lot. What I, want, what I like to do is this. I like to engage the audience with the ideas that are coming forth. Uh, that's sort of my background. My father was a mathematician and I sort of inherited that left brain idea of logic. And so I, I construct my messages where I'm appealing all the way through. Ellen White says we should appeal to people's reason, right? The intellect and the reason. And so uh, I've put them together in a way that as I'm going through, I'm saying, can you see it? Is it clear? Do you get it? And, and it's, so, it's such that they can't help but say, yes. I've got it. So that actually when I come down to the end, my appeals are not long. I'm not, I'm not against those who do give long appeals. Mine are not long because I'm appealing all the way through. I'm appealing all the way through. That when I get down to the end and I say, here's the card, they're like, let me write it out. You know? They just take it and they're, they're filling it out. Even before I start to go through the card, they've usually got it filled out and they've signed it. Praise the Lord. So I'm, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to build my messages where the ideas flow from point to point to point. Evangel what's, the, what's the next point? Number seven. Evangelism of preaching should be contemporary and under the culture where he is speaking. Now, I guess that goes for GYC, too. Uh, when, uh, when Justin was speaking last night, I really appreciated how he, how he delivered that message. It was, so, it was so relevant to the audience in which he was speaking to. You know? He probably would have changed some things if he was in a different place speaking to a different group. Same sermon, but he would have changed some things. But he was at GYC speaking to many, many young people, and so he tailored it to that group. I appreciated that. When I'm up in Canada, which is where I'm from, I'm Canadian. I don't know if you've picked it up at all. I, I tend to drop my Canadian accent when I'm up talking for the most part. But, but anyway, <laughs> I say A's a lot privately, but 
but when I'm up in Canada, you, or where, you need to know that culture and that people that you're speaking to. Now, when you're up in Canada, how, any Canadians here? All right, okay. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be. But when I'm up in Canada, I'm going to tell you that you want to be very careful in your terminology. Now, you may say, well, they're just like us. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. You want to be sure that you don't say, uh, who's your president? They don't have a president. Right? They have a prime minister. You don't want to talk about their Congress. Not a Congress, a parliament. You want to talk about their governor. It's not a governor. It's a premier. And if you start using U.S. terminology up in Canada, you know what they're going to say? They're not going to say this. But you know what they're going to think? They're going to think, stupid American doesn't know anything about our country, doesn't know what we think, doesn't even, doesn't have a clue. They have a little bit of a complex about that, right? And, uh, and so they, Canadians want to know that we're different, and you need to know our terminology, and you need to know about our country. And if you, if you talk U.S. terminology to them, it's going to offend them. It's going to be offensive, I can tell you very quickly. So when I go to Indonesia, or I go to some other country, I want to know, what are these people about? I find out about their government. I find out about their country. I find out about what's important to them so that I can build that into the message. Okay? Any questions on that? All right. Try to be relevant. Know who the current politicians are. Right? I mean, I've seen it. I mean, if you get up today and you, and you might laugh, but if you, start, you get up today and you start talking about President Bush you know, as if he was still in office, right? <laughs> People are going to look at you and say, where have you been? Right? Right? And, or you start talking about, you know, the Secretary of State or the Vice President, and you start using people who are no longer in office, uh, it's going to really work against you in a, in a big way. Know what's going on in the various parts of the country and out of the country. We should know what's going on in the world. Would you agree with that? Know what's happening. Know what's in the news. If you're not one who reads the news, or get a newspaper and find out what's going on. What's, if there's a hijacking, you can get up that day. And you can say, you know what, uh, you know, something sad happened in the news today. And you can pray about it. People, people want you to be informed of what's going on in the world. Evangelistic preaching. Evangelistic preaching must be well illustrated. Okay, now what do we mean by, by that? Well, <clears throat> it needs to appeal in such a way where stories and illustrations will, go, will do things where the sermon can't by itself. Uh, you know, a story has a way of taking people into the message and getting caught up in it, and all of a sudden they don't realize where it's leading. Uh, it's, like, it's like when Nathan came before King David, right? and he was telling him this story about the sheep, and David was right there, and he was, he was hearing it, and he was getting involved emotionally in it, and all of a sudden he turned and said, you're the man, right? You're the man, and whoa, why? When I'm up in Canada, I'll tell a little story about... Now, if, when you're up in Canada, what's the favorite sport up there? Hockey, right? I mean, it's not like hockey's on the par with anything else. Down here, you have four major sports, maybe five with NASCAR now. But, uh, but basically, we've always called the four major sports. Up there, they have all those sports, but it's like hockey is here and everything else is down here. And when the, when the Olympics comes, Canada likes to win medals against anything else, but, but we got to win the hockey. I mean, if we can lose everything else, but don't lose the hockey game. It's national importance on the line. 
national dignity on the line. So I know that. So when I'm going to illustrate you know, things and I'm talking Canada, I'm going to give hockey stories. I'm going to give hockey illustrations. And the crowd is right there. I mean, they love it. And they're, 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 they're so into it when I start talking about hockey that they're on the edge of their seat. And, they're re and if I start talking about a certain game, they're reliving the game because they saw the game. Right? And I start talking about the gold medal game, uh, Winter Olympics 2002, Salt Lake City, Canada versus the United States for the gold medal. And you see, Canada hadn't won the gold medal in the Olympics uh, for various reasons. And they knew, they knew that they had to win that medal because now their professionals were going up against other professionals. And I start telling them about the fact that I watched that game. And they watched that game. In fact, it is said that 75% of the adult population of Canada was watching that game. And they were, so, they were so into it that when the game was being played, I mean, the nation stopped. Gold medal, Canada versus the United States. And uh, I was there watching that game. I was, I was between evangelistic meetings. And I was, in, I was in a hotel room all by myself. And being a patriotic Canadian, there I was watching that game. And you know what happened? I think the United States scored first. Oh, man. It was like an arrow. Oh, that hurt. And then, and then Canada scored. Oh, yeah, it's tied. And then Canada scored again. Oh, we went up. We have a chance. That gold medal, you know, the game's taken on. And, and of course, the Canadian crowd, they're just like, yes, yes, we were there. We watched it. And then... Canada scored again. Oh, we can almost taste it. I'm telling you what, this was majorly important. And when that game was over, <clears throat> which Canada won, by the way. <laughs> That's not important, is it? But when that game was over, I mean, then people flooded out into the streets. They were high-fiving their neighbors. Sirens were going off. Fire engines were driving, and police cars were driving around the blocks, blaring their sirens. People were dancing in the streets. And there I was in my little hotel room in front of that television, hair standing up on my arm, right? Singing the Canadian national anthem. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit spoke to me right there. Powerfully. You know what that is? It's not audible, but it's like it's so powerful in your brain you can just hear it rattling around. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Brian, do you get as excited about me as you just did that game? Oh, man. You know there are certain moments you remember? And I got down on my knees in that hotel room and I said, Lord, forgive me. I want to be far more excited about the gospel than I do about some hockey game that, may, that means nothing, right? means nothing. But when I tell that to a Canadian audience and they're reliving every moment of that game as I talk about it, it's just kind of like Nathan before David. You know what I mean? That's why you illustrate it because you can draw them in. The power of a story will get through where no discourse will. Now here's another one. Note, take good note of this one. When you're preaching evangelistically, use the bullet approach. Don't use the shotgun approach. Shotgun approach is where you're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. I mean, the opening night, the guy gets up, and I've seen this. Talks about the second coming, talks about a little bit on salvation, talks about Michael the archangel, 144,000, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8. And it's all in there. And your head is spinning, and you walk out saying, what was that about? I've seen that. I've seen that. The bullet approach is where you have... 
you, you, you can be able to put that sermon in a nutshell and you're driving that point home so powerfully that they, when they walk out, they know what you were talking about, right? It's called straight line thinking. Verses of the Bible that are on target, not some kind of peripheral thing. Excuse me, well-organized thoughts, well-given illustrations to make that point so clear that when they walk out, they know what it was all about. Now, I've already mentioned this. If it's confusing to you, it's going to be doubly confusing to those that are listening. So if it's not entirely clear to you, don't preach it. I mean, if you don't know how to put the 70 weeks and the 2300 days together in a way that is going to come across, then you, that's not, you're not ready to preach that. Because even after preaching it many times, I still have to go through it in my mind and think it through and think it through and think it through because you're giving a lot of information in a short time and it's quite easy to start stumbling if, you're not, if you don't have it clear in your own head. This is why I would highly recommend this. Now, you will find those who disagree on this point, and that's okay. But I would highly recommend you write your sermons out. And with the modern technology of computers and cut and paste technology, this is so easy now, right? It wasn't available when I started. But it, why, why write your sermons out? Well, last night was a great illustration. You saw uh, Justin had, a, had his notes up there, and he, was very, he delivered them very well. And he was on target. He was on time. But it helps when you do that. It gives you powerful thought, thinking because you can hone it over time, right? Maybe the first time you put it into words, it wasn't uh, exactly what you wanted. But over time, you, you cut out some words and move this over here and you sharpen it. So pretty soon, every sentence has impact, right? Every sentence has impact. Someone in college told me this. Never forgot it. Words are like sunlight. When condensed, they burn deeper. Don't say in 10 minutes what you can say in one minute. And if you see someone that's, you know, getting up there and he, he sort of is, he or she is proud because they don't have many notes and they can just get in the pulpit and talk, chances are they're going to be, uh, they're destined to repeat themselves over and over and over again, right? And it's going to be dull and boring and uh, basically there's no, there's no driving home the point. So it helps you stay on target. It also helps you in reducing your practice time or your review time. If you've got your notes there and you've written it out, you can go over it very quickly. Let's say you've been visiting all day or something else took up your time and it wasn't your fault, but now you've got to preach. You can go over that message very quickly if you've got it written out. You can go point by point, especially if you've preached it a few times. Yep, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, ready to go. But if you, you can't do that if you've only got four lines there, right? And you've got to think, think the whole sermon through every time. Number three, Again, your thoughts can be honed to a razor's edge. Uh, I don't know if I put it up there. Let me just... Yeah, number one, it helps you stay on time. It helps you stay on time. You will lose your audience. Your audience might forgive you if you go overtime once. But if you do it the second night and you're keeping them 15, 20 minutes longer because you didn't really prepare well, chances are you're going to have a big drop-off. Because they've got kids at home. You know how it goes. They've got babysitting. They've got all that stuff. And they're going to say, man, the guy said he was going to finish at 8.30 and now it's 9 o'clock. And we just can't stay up that long. Right? And even though you had a good message say, they're going to, they're going to say, no, we, we just can't come. So you promised your audience you're going to start on time. You're going to end on time. Stick to that promise. It's one of the problems with evangelists, isn't it? Number 10. How are we doing on time, by the way? Speaking of time, quarter after. Know what not to talk about. Okay? Leave politics out of it. Uh, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or something in between, but you must be very careful because this country is basically divided 50-50. Right. 
And your audience is basically going to be divided 50-50, or there's a good chance of it. So if why, why cut off half of your audience because you've made a very political statement? Right? Uh, and it's more than just politics. Don't start talking about things prematurely like Michael the Archangel. Not that we're ashamed of our belief, and we can back it up, but it's so controversial. And people will put you in a certain way of thinking. They'll put you with the Jehovah's Witnesses, even though we don't believe as the Jehovah's Witnesses. Exactly. They have, you know, we're between the witness belief and the evangelical belief. We're, we have a balanced in, in, in the middle belief that is biblical. But they'll put you with the Jehovah's Witnesses and they're going to say, ah, no, I'm not coming back. Tongues is a very divisive thing. I do talk on tongues, but it's at the very end, after they have come through the whole seminar, and they're confident that we're preaching the Word of God, and then they'll open up their mind if they are this uh, type of tongues, ecstatic tongue-speaking people. They will listen to what we have to say. And the 144,000, another very uh, controversial thing. So, there's not that we don't have a position on these, but it's that it's so controversial that it's not necessary to bring it up. Number 11, come early, be prepared to preach. I'm going to repeat something for those of you who came in after we started. If you're anxious, it's probably because you didn't prepare well. Anxiety decreases in direct proportion as preparation increases. So, you, I go over my, even after many years of preaching, I go over my message, I go over it again, and then I get to the church early. I was working with an evangelist one time when I was just in training. He would fly in the door, he was going to start at 7.30 every night, 7.30. He would fly in the door 7.25, right? He'd get his notes, he'd have little sticky tabs, and he was sticking them in the Bible, flipping them back and forth furiously in the pastor's office, trying to stick his notes in there. I mean, he was, his tie was all over the place. He was a mess in terms of his organization. And he did this night after night after night. And I said to myself, if I ever get a chance, Lord, help me not be like that, right? I get there an hour and a half, usually an hour and a half before we start. Sometimes an hour and 15 depending on how it is with traffic. But hour and a 15, hour and a half ahead, I want to make sure my projector's going. I want to make sure that I've had a chance to think it through. Even though I've done it at home, I do it again right there because I want the thinking to be fresh in my mind, right? I want it to be right there, right there, ready to go. And I want to make sure that uh, my notes are there. And, uh, because when the people start arriving, even your deacons, your elders, your registers, your greeters, when they say to you, are you ready? And you say, yeah, man, I'm ready to go. Then they'll relax. That's right. Right? They'll relax. And they say, oh, good, our speaker's ready to go. That's what they want to know. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. I can't wait to get going. And they say, oh, good. Well, we're ready too then. But if they see you running around and trying to get the speaker going, I mean, the, the projector going, sometimes that happens. It can break down even between the time you get there and the time you start. I've had some really scary things. But, and then this is what I say. I say to the audience, if they can see that we're having problems with the projector, or we're having problems with the computer, I tell the audience, I say, folks, we don't need this stuff. Right. It's nice to have it. It's nice to show pictures. We don't need it. We have the Bible. Right. And if we've got the Bible, we've got all we need to have a study tonight, don't we? Amen? Amen? <laughs> know your message. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> know your message so that if that projector goes out or that computer goes out, you don't have to have it. I've got my quotes in note form, so that if so I don't, I have it on PowerPoint or Keynote, but but if I don't, I've got it right here, right? And uh, and you need to know that so you can go to point to point to point, and you don't have to have it up on the screen. Now that takes a little practice, but you got to put it in your head first. That's why preaching it, even if you've never preached it before, preaching it out loud to an audience drills it into your own brain. 
You might say you know it, you might think you know it, but it's when you speak it that it really goes into your heart. Isn't that true? And that's when you know you know it, because you might say, well, I know the 2300 days. Oh, I share it with somebody. <laughs> then you're going to know if you know it. So get there early. All right, what is evangelistic briefing? Practice being brief. Okay, now I think I already mentioned this, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. Your preaching is more effective if you try to say it with fewer words. When you say the Old Testament is revealed more fully in the New, and the New is, is condensed in the Old, and you start saying things in a brief form, I will listen to a whole presentation of somebody if I can just listen to one sentence and get one sentence out of it that's better than I've ever heard it before. I'll listen. Sometimes when I have gone a certain period of time, I'll pop. I've got about 30 different speakers when it comes to their evangelistic presentations at home. About 30 different ones from way back in the 60s to the present time. And if I say, you know, I, what's, what's the new thought on the millennium? And I'll pop in somebody's sermon. And I listen to it. I say, you know what? That's excellent. I've never used that text before. I've never, I've never come at it from that point before. And if it's something that is poignant and it's on target and I can see myself saying it without coming out of my own personality, I'll say, I'm going to try that. You see. But it's got to be right on. And it's usually going to be brief and to the point. It's don't say with a lot of words what you can say with just a few words. Because the more words you use, the less they're going to remember it. Isn't that true? Right? You go on and on and on. They're going to say, what did he talk about tonight? Segways. What are those? Transition points, right? When you go from one thought to the next thought, these are fun. I like doing these. Practice segues in your messages. When you transition from one point to the next, how do they normally do it? We usually do it with a question, right? We'll say, we'll say, Jesus, we'll, we'll quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll say, Jesus is coming again in power and glory, and when he comes, where are the dead going to be? And then, so I've asked that question, right? And then we go on to Matthew, John chapter 5, 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And you give that text, right? There's, there's where the dead are. And so you raise a question in your preach, and then you answer it with the text. That's the most common. There's other ways to make a transition from one point to the next. One thing to keep in mind, though, when you do this, when you're going to transition, and, and you're, you're going to see it with me, too. Try not to go, um... Uh, like, you know. Uh, we, we do this when we pause, right? The most common one is, um. Try to wean those out of your speaking. I, I had, mine was now. That was mine. We all have a favorite word we use. Uh, you listen. If you don't know what it is, your spouse will tell you, right? And, and so I was driving home one night, and my wife said, do you know how many times you said the word now? Because, you know, I'd say, okay, now we're going to go to this. And, and now, when you hear, and she, I'd say, did I say that? She says, yeah, about 50 times. <laughs> I didn't even know it. See, we don't hear it. We're so used to it, we don't hear it. But there was a really good speaker in a church that I used to attend. Great pastor, super messages, but every single sentence he ended with, you know. He said something, you know, and he said another sentence, you know, and, that's, you know. and it was so aggravating and s that, that you just, no matter how good the message was, you couldn't concentrate on it because you heard so many you knows. So try to get rid of that in your speaking. It's very, very common. Record yourself if you have to, so you can hear yourself, and then, and if you, if you, if you don't know what to say, just pause. Sometimes that pause can be even for effect, right? You can use that for effect rather than just have a fill-in word. Okay. Where are they? 
That's, what do we mean by that? Try to reach others by imagining where they're coming from. Again, put yourself where your audience is. It helps you to relate to them. Now, how do you find this out? By going and shaking hands with them and getting down on the floor, both before and afterward, and meeting them and talking to them. That's where you know what your audience is going through, what problems they have, how to relate to them. That'll help you in your speaking. I'll talk about that in visitation, too. Now, this is a big one. I want to get this one in before we close. Be yourself. Don't try to be some other speaker that you know that's popular and, uh, you know, well-known. When I first started, the Amazing Facts, I'm not with Amazing Facts somewhere, but when Amazing Facts first hired me, they almost didn't hire me. And the reason was because I was so soft-spoken and I was kind of a mellow guy. I'm phlegmatic, you know, uh, most of the time. In fact, I'm even shy. I don't like being up front. Isn't that something for an evangelist? <laughs> I really don't like being up front. If I had my way, I'd be kind of like the fly on the wall listening to other people. But I know God has called me. So it's okay with me. I'm, I've become comfortable for the most part. But they almost didn't hire me because I wasn't type A personality, kind of boisterous and you know, really fast, fast talking. You know? But you don't need to be like that. So don't necessarily say, well, so-and-so's talks a million miles an hour, so I've got to be like that. Right? A lot of young evangelists make that mistake. They're saying, well, to be an evangelist, you've got to talk fast. Right? So that's what I thought, too, because the guy that was sort of, you know, helping me, he was a really fast talker. So I thought, well, you've got to talk fast. That makes you sound authoritative. Hmm. It just makes you talk, sound fast. In fact, the, the group that I was talking to, they'd come up to me and they pled with me and they said, slow down. You've got good material, but we can't, concentrate. we can't process one thought before you're on to the next one. And it took me to about night five till I finally started to slow down, slow down, slow down, so, so they could actually follow me with where I was going. So don't think that when you get material, there is really, really some good material out there, but it may not be good for you and your personality. You know, there's, you know I love listening to C.D. Brooks. Right? I love listening to C.D. Brooks. He's a great preacher. But you know, C.D. Brooks has a way of saying things that I just can't say. <laughs> I just can't say it and have it come across the way C.D. Brooks does, right? So, and that's okay, because there's other things I can say that will come across and be effective. So don't, so start with, uh, let me see if it's on here. Okay, let me just go through this. Don't try to imitate anyone. Learn from others. That's, that's true, but don't mimic anyone. Prophets and kings, it's not always the most learned presentation of God's truth that convicts and converts the soul. Keep in mind. Not by eloquence or logic are men's hearts reached, and I should say, and not by PowerPoint, but by the sweet influences of the Holy Spirit, which operate quietly, yet surely in transforming and developing character. It is the still small voice of the Spirit of God that has power to change the heart. Can you all say amen to that? Amen. All right. I, I like to say preach in your own skin. Uh, if, it, if it suits your personality, if it comes across natural and sincere, and preaching. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.